I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy, a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancor, and every week I bring together other film enthusiasts to analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn or your raisinets or whatever you want and join us as we explore the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. Uh, Stephen Alva Wood back on the show again from the Horse Squad podcast. He is here to help me dissect and uh, discuss a certain movie that I really didn't like. And we've actually done this episode before. A couple years ago, Steve was not on the show, um, and I remember him messaging me and being like, how are you going to do me like that? Because he really likes this movie. But before we get into that, Steve, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. I'm exhausted, but I'm oh. doing great. <laughs> uh, I just came back from an event in Salem, Massachusetts. We hosted uh, four cast members from uh, Hocus Pocus, and it went really great. But it was like 12-hour days, and uh, it's just craziness. Just thank you, everyone who came out. You know, they waited five plus hours in the Ooh. freezing cold rain to meet the cast, and the line was just absolutely insane. It was it was a crazy weekend. I really enjoyed it, and I can't look. I, I'm really looking forward to next year because we're going to do it bigger, and it's going to be awesome. God, that's so cool. I'm so happy for you guys because I am a, a fan of the Horse Squad podcast. I got my merch. And uh, it's just really great to see all that through social media. That's so cool. You got like the four pretty much main characters of it. Vanessa Shaw, ooh, like I'm saying, she's a special place <laughs> she, in my heart. She has not changed almost she, since back then. She looks so good. She looks so good. And I just, I always, one of my favorite, because I've seen her in a lot of movies, but one of my favorite roles was the remake of The Hills Have Eyes. Oh, yeah. And I think she's so brilliant in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she looked fantastic and so did everyone else. And I just, you know, the costumes that they were wearing were really neat. So I'm, I'm glad everyone could get really excited about it because that's a lot of fun, man. Hocus Pocus is a classic. It's, it's just one of those, those ones that's going to go down in Halloween history pretty much. Yeah. And just, it was weird because like, how did no one think of this before to bring the cast of Hocus Pocus to Salem? They have Hocus Pocus everything over there. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like, there's always people in front of the locations. Like it's their huge tourist spots and they have balls and they have all, it's like all these parties and stuff, but no one ever thought, Hey, maybe we should invite the people from Hocus Pocus to come here. <laughs> so we're like, let's do it. <laughs> and there you go. Sure enough, here we are. <laughs> I know. So I'm over in Washington State and we have uh, Forks, Washington, which is where Twilight takes place. And it was mm. filmed for a good majority of it. Uh, they have everything around there. They're like, you know, the the Twilight Cafe and the Twilight Rest Stop and whatever. And I, I mean, those stars are, are quite a bit bigger, I think, now. But there are right. some, you know, CD listers that are there that you could probably get um, that. I'm sure someone somewhere down the road will probably get them all together and, and join it. But yeah, for sure. I digress. Thank you so much for being here. I know I know that's been hectic and busy, so we're just going to jump right into it. But I really appreciate you being on the show. Um, we are going to discuss The Exorcist from 
Uh, this movie was directed by William Friedkin, who uh, recently passed away. Was it this year? I think he died. Yeah, it's, it's very. It was like maybe two, three months ago. Yeah. So R.I.P. Mr. Friedkin. Uh, thank you for leaving your legacy on there. It was also written by William Peter Blatty, who, and we'll we have a question about this later. But I just watched The Exorcist three, and he did a really good job in directing that. I mm. was very impressed, actually. Yeah. So, <laughs> as a as a different one, but it was good. Um. So The Exorcist stars Ellen Burstyn, Linda Blair, Max von Sydow, or Sydow, Jason Miller, Lee J. Cobb, Kitty Wynn, Jack McGowan, and William O'Malley, to name a few. But there are a lot of people in this movie. Critically, on IMDb as it stands, it is 8.1 out of 10. So it is rated pretty damn high for IMDb. I don't know why, but it is <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes. It has a critic score of 78 percent and an audience score of 87 percent, which is still, again, crazy to me. But OK, um, it is streaming on Max. That's how I watched it. I'm sure. Steve, how did you watch it? Uh, I, I have the Blu-ray set of all of them. Of course uh, you do. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> but really, one and three are the two that you want to watch the uh, part two and the two remakes that they did. Uh, which have their own interesting story. I don't know if you ever yeah. read, read into that. Uh, they're not great. So Yeah, and and uh, again, I'll, we'll, when we get to that question I have, I'll give you my history on it because I did a really weird, backwards-ass kind of way of watching <laughs> them all. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so here's some fun facts about The Exorcist. On the first day of rehearsing the exorcism sequence, Linda Blair's delivery of her foul mouth dialogue so disturbed the gentlemanly Max von Sydow that he actually forgot his lines. And she does say a lot of very uh, nasty shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yep. It's a lot. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> especially for 1973, you're like, oh. It's a lot now. Like, lot yeah, now. in 73, like, damn. <laughs> it's like, your mother sucks cocks in hell. It's like, whoa, <laughs> hang on a second. <laughs> um, according to director William Friedkin, the subliminal shots of the white-faced demon are actually rejected makeup tests for Reagan's possessed appearance. And you and I were messaging about this because uh, would you what 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 version of this would you say is the definitive version for someone to watch? Uh, I personally like to watch the director's cut because they did add some scenes I think are really good, which, you know, are unfortunately not there in the theatrical, particularly the spider walk scene, which yeah. is an infamous uh, deleted scene that they had for years where Reagan walks down the stairs uh, like backwards and it's just a creepy as hell shot. But, I mean, there's also a, the purist in me that wants to say the theatrical version because, you know, it's not cleaned up the way that the uh, director's cut is. And it's kind of the way that a lot of people saw it back then. So there, there's there's both that you can watch. But me personally, I like the director's cut. OK, fair enough. Well, and, and I know that I saw various shots of Pazuzu, like just uh, pasted in there very briefly. It's like a blink and you miss it sort of moment. And when I was watching the movie, I was like, holy shit, that was kind of weird. Um, but yeah, you kind of really have to pay attention. And it was creepy as hell. Uh, I, I definitely think that those were were fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, the sound of the demon leaving Reagan's body is actually the sound of pigs being herded for slaughter. This alludes to a story in the New Testament where Jesus casts out several demons, collectively called Legion, which is the name of the third book, from a man, or third movie, based off the book, from a man that transfers them into the bodies of the pigs. The pigs are then drowned, similar to Father Karras dying after accepting the demon. Uh, There was a fun little Easter egg, too. When he falls down the stairs, it says, 
uh, fight pigs or something like that on the side. There's graffiti, and mm. that could be an allusion to the police, or it could be allusion to this, to the to the pigs. Um, and then finally, the demon that possesses Reagan McNeil is named Pazuzu in both the novel and the script. Director Ru- William Friedkin confirms this on the audio commentary track. However, this name is never mentioned in any cut of the film being first used on screen in the sequel, The Exorcist to the Heretic. And you got to see it. It's a 10 out of 10 on IMDb. It's not a waste of, of time. Definitely watch it. <laughs> during, <Absolutely>. <laughs> during the film, Pazuzu lies to Father Damien Karras by claiming to be the devil slash Satan. But conversations with Father Lancaster, Marin, show this claim to be false. So, yeah, that's uh, one thing that kind of bugged me, too, about the whole Pazuzu thing. But again, I'll get into it. Mm-hmm. Here is a spoiler filled synopsis for anyone who has not seen The Exorcist. Uh, but I don't even know why you're listening to the show <laughs> if you haven't seen it, because you need to formulate your own opinion. So skip ahead five minutes if you don't want to hear this. In Georgetown, Washington, D.C., actress Chris McNeil is starring in a film directed by her friend Burke Dennings. McNeil, along with her 12 year old daughter, Reagan, rents a luxurious house with servants. Meanwhile, Father Damien Karras, a psychiatrist who counsels Georgetown University priests, visits his ailing mother in New York. He confides to a colleague that he feels unfit in his role, citing a crisis of faith. Chris hosts a party with Karras' friend, Father Dyer, who explains Karras' role as a counselor, mentioning that his mother died recently. Reagan, seemingly unwell, appears and urinates before Chris comforts her. After she puts Reagan to bed, it shakes violently. Dyer consoles Karis, who expresses guilt at not having been with his mother when she died. Reagan's personality becomes violent. She is subjected to medical tests, which find no physical cause. During a house call, Reagan exhibits abnormal strength. One night, Chris finds the house empty except for a sleeping Reagan. Dennings is found dead beneath Reagan's window. Detective William Kinderman questions Karis, confiding that Dennings' head was turned backwards. Reagan's condition worsens as her body becomes covered with sores. Kinderman tells Chris that the only plausible explanation for Denning's death is that he has pushed he was pushed from Reagan's window. As Kinderman leaves, Reagan has another violent fit, stabbing her vagina with a crucifix and turning her head backwards. Reagan is confined to her bedroom. Uh, Chris seeks out Karis, who visits Reagan. The possessed Reagan claims to be the devil and projectile vomits into Karis's face while speaking in tongues. The demon says it will remain in Reagan until she is dead. At night, Chris's assistant calls Karis to the house. Still ambivalent, Karis concludes that an exorcism is warranted. His superior grants permission on the condition that an experienced priest lead the ritual. Catholic priest Lancaster Marin, having performed an exorcism before, is summoned. Marin arrives at the house. As the priest reads from the Roman ritual, the demon curses them. The priest rests... The priests rest and Marin, shaking, takes nitroglycerin. Karis enters the bedroom where the demon appears as his mother. Showing weakness, Karis exclaims that the demon is not his mother. Marin excuses Karis and continues the exorcism by himself. Karis assures Chris that Reagan will not die and re-enters the room, finding Marin dead from a heart attack. Enraged, Karis beats the possessed Reagan and demands that the demon take him instead. The demon rips the medallion of St. Joseph from Karis's neck and possesses him, freeing Reagan. Karis hurls himself out the window, tumbling down the stone stairs outside. Chris and Kinderman enter the room. Chris embraces the healed Reagan and Kinderman surveys the scene. Outside, Dyer administers the dying Karis's last rites. The McNeils prepare to leave and Father Dyer says goodbye. Despite having no memory of the ordeal, Reagan, moved by the sight of Dyer's clerical collar, kisses him on the cheek. As the McNeils leave, 
Chris gives Dyer the medallion found in Reagan's room. Dyer then briefly examines the steps where Karis died before walking away. And in the director's cut, he meets up with Kinderman. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ugh, Steve. All right. <laughs> so it is no secret, you know, that I am not a huge fan of The Exorcist. I just didn't like it on my first viewing. Um, some has changed, but not a lot has changed for this viewing. It, it, it was just, it was rough ultimately. And I was just bored while watching it. And like I'm saying, yeah, the second viewing is a little bit better. I was able to truly appreciate the little things and the stylistic choices that were made in the movie. So, I mean, I wonder with that being said, does this movie require repeat viewings? Because what if I like it on the third or the fourth viewing? Like how can this be good or bad, especially or specifically for the exorcist? So I don't think it requires multiple viewings. I think a lot of people, including myself, enjoyed the movie tremendously on the first viewing. But the fact that you can go into additional viewings and start peeling more of the layers of what this movie is about is what like makes something from a good movie to a classic, right? Um, it's the rewatchability of this movie that makes it endearing even what were we 45 years later it's just or actually 50 years now so 50 years later it's that's what i like about this movie so much i've probably seen it 20 times at this point over the course of my life and even on this last viewing i still saw some little differences some little nuances that i didn't realize before and that's what i love so much about it i think it's just a great movie all around and there's so much to it that Having more than one viewing is definitely going to be beneficial, but I don't think it's required because I think it's great the first time. Right. And I mean, you and I had this discussion with The Shining, too, which is like one of my favorite horror films of all time. And and that one, I definitely so I get a lot more out of the repeat viewings. Um, but I do wonder with The Exorcist, because I mean, I know my when my mom saw this, she's like, oh, this movie scared me when I was younger. Right. And for me, I didn't see it until I was in my early 20s. So it was quite outdated at that time. And, and I'm like, when did you first see The Exorcist? Uh, probably around college. Uh, it, it took a while. My mom was also terrified of yeah. this, uh, but not even the movie. She never she refused to watch the movie. It was from the book. So that oh. she said the book scared her to her core. And oh, wow. Have, knowing that information... It was, um, you know, it's something I always wanted to see. And I remember specifically why I ended up watching it. Uh, my first year in college, we we had a poster fair. And I was getting into horror at that time. I was in film school, so I, I loved everything about film. And I saw this gigantic poster of Reagan's face. And I thought, I need this for my room. <laughs> so I put it in my room, but I was kind of a hypocrite because I'd never seen the movie. So <laughs> I went to the store and purchased the movie and fell in love with it immediately. <laughs> My name is Luke. I like film. My favorite <laughs> right. movies are the Citizen Kane and the Boondock Saints. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's pretty par for the course for most film students, just putting up those posters and stuff. And like, to your credit though, was it Reagan with her as the possessed face? Like, yeah, all, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty goddamn, you know, uh, imposing. And, and when I watched it again this time, I really appreciated the makeup work and the, just the production design of her room and everything around it. It's creepy as hell. The lighting is is superb in this film, and they do such a good job with it. And I, th- I think technically that's what I was more impressed with 
were all those things. And then same thing with like the Pazuzu being hidden in here and there. You said it was like a children's sticker book being kind of like placed. <laughs> oh my God. In the director's <laughs> cut, it's because I, I didn't remember. I remember a lot of the differences, but I didn't remember how much Pazuzu was actually in the original cut. But in the director's cut, man, they just used that face all over the place. There's one scene in particular where Chris is in the kitchen and Pazuzu's face just like appears on the stove. And I'm just like, why? <laughs> it's, it's, it's like a child who likes a sticker and just sticks on fucking everything. You know, it's, it's a weird, it's too much, too much Pazuzu, I think. I think the subtlety of having it just a few key moments in the theatrical version is way better. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess you've seen this 20 plus times. You'll, you'll, you'll probably never get tired of it, right? Probably not. No, not, not at this point. You know, I just, whether I was a teen or now an adult, I enjoy it. And even, okay, I'll tell you another story. I, when I first moved to this house here, um, the very first night where I was like actually in my house, the day before someone had told me that there was a Turkish like boot, bootleg version of the exorcist <laughs> called Satan. And it was my birthday. And I, but I was so excited about the prospect that the movie like that existed that I didn't know about that. I woke up at 3 AM to watch it in my new basement on oh, my birthday, boy. just because I'm such a big fan of the exorcist and Satan is actually pretty good for those who couldn't find it probably on Tubi. <laughs> so that's how big of a fan I am. And even when you invited me over for this episode, I got excited because it's like another reason to watch The Exorcist and discuss The Exorcist. Right. It's just one of those movies I absolutely love to its core. That's cool. So that's like the thing for me. I mean, the thing, I, I was lucky enough to see it uh, last year for the 40th anniversary in theaters, and it was awesome. I mean, just being being with other uh, Carpenter fans, they're laughing at parts that I never mm -hmm. normally laugh at and just really appreciating like the work that, that Botten did for the practical effects. I mean, I'm that movie gets better and better each time I watch it and I, I freaking love it. So yeah, um, I, I, I get what you're saying. Okay. Well, that makes me slightly appreciate it a little bit more because you <laughs> like it so much. Right. So <clears throat> let's, let's pretend that we are Mr. Blatty there and we are re rewriting this entire movie. Um, and we need to remove, uh, the somewhat odd opening sequence with father Marin discovering Pazuzu in Iraq. It's long. It's interesting. I feel like I'm watching Indiana Jones. I guess, did we need this? Because if we just jump straight to Georgetown to focus on Reagan and Chris, which is kind of what this movie feels like it's about, like, how does this movie change? Why did we need this big opening? So do we need it? No. I think the movie would still be just as amazing if we didn't get that sequence. Is it important? I think yes, for two reasons. Number one, uh, this establishes Father Marin. Because you don't see Father Marin for, what, an hour and a half after this point when he shows up for the exorcism. So this gives the viewers a chance to understand who he is. He's someone who's been researching demonology and he's, he found, you know, Pazuzu statue in Iraq. And you kind of get an idea that he's the guy who knows what, what's up. You know, if they just have it with a little bit of dialogue, it doesn't have the same effect when he does show up in one of the most iconic horror shots of all time, might I add. Yeah. True. And, I think it's important for that reason. The other reason is it's that event that happens in Iraq that frees Pazuzu that allows him, the, the demon to, you know, to possess Reagan later in the movie. Had he not found Pazuzu's head, which is assumingly a cursed item, 
I don't think we would have had the events of the rest of the movie. That's why the clock stops when he's uh, looking at the items. Uh, That's why he has such a bad feeling when he sees the statue near the end of that sequence. I think this is kind of what happened that created the events of this movie. And it's not terribly hard to follow uh, because I'm more of a less is more guy with exposition. Like I don't need him to be like, oh, this is a cursed demon from this century and so on, so on and so forth. But there were some things that kind of threw me off. And this leads me to my one of my first reasons why I'm not really a huge fan of this is that scene just seemed really out of place, in my opinion. I get what you're saying for sure. But like, how did the how the hell did Pazuzu settle on Georgetown, Washington, D.C. of all places? Like you go from Iraq to Washington, D.C. Like, is that something we're supposed to be treated to? Or is it like, do your homework and read the book? I I feel you're just supposed to think that, you know, Pazuzu got freed during the events in Iraq. And then this innocent girl used a Ouija board. And through the Ouija board, the demon found an opening. And I think there's also, it's like a series of events. I think the demon also knew that this would lead him to both Father Karras and Father Marin down the line. So I think it's, it was like a tactical move by Pazuzu. And they don't do a great job of explaining that uh, personally, but still, I think that's what it all means. And and that's I guess that's a good thing, though, because then, you know, we can kind of create our own idea of what's going on, just like what you're thinking. And I guess so because, you know, they, they like I said in the trivia, they never say Pazuzu. So do you think Father Marin, when he was doing the exorcism and when he got called on, he knew that this was that demon? I, I think he had an idea that, that it was that demon, but he wasn't sure at first. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's only referred to as Captain Howdy in the movie, which is true. Uh, crazy, quite the name when you think about it. But um, I, I think he needed time. But eventually he kind of clued in that this is probably the demon um, that he's dealing with, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And we get a little more context in like the second movie and stuff, you know, like right. how he died, which takes away from the the mystique of, of <laughs> him dying, which I think, you know, ruined it. And then also that Pazuzu can basically move through the wind like the locusts and whatnot (laughs) which i mean with that being known with the wind it makes me appreciate the first movie more because like when reagan has her window wide open after she basically kills burke Mm -hmm. it's it's the wind is blowing and that's kind of uh, an allegory for like hey you know this is how these demons travel through um so i I mean i i did kind of appreciate that but uh, okay i i I, I get that. I get the opening. It's just, it seemed like it just dragged on and I'm like, what are we doing? And why is this old man in the desert? And <laughs> so, yeah, that, that's yeah. why I think it's, it's important, but it wasn't necessary. Okay. You know, yeah. Fair enough. Uh, okay. And then, so Chris McNeil, right? So she's a very successful actress and her daughter mm-hmm. is even in the, the spotlight with her, like on that magazine, you know, their home is lovely and clearly they are a wealthy family. They have an assistant for Christ's sake and, and like a butler. Right. But let's just change this whole story. What if the McNeils were a poor family? Like, was there a reason they were written as a wealthy family? Yes, because they live in America and they couldn't afford all that medical care and that they show so nicely in this movie. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, the real answer, I think, is the juxtaposition between Father Karras, who's really poor, and that comes into play a lot with what's happening with his mom. He can't quite take care of her the way that he wanted to. He couldn't afford a proper hospital for her. And then you have Chris McNeil, who's filthy rich and can has all the resources, 
but despite all those resources, can't do anything with Reagan. So it just shows that you could be, you could have all the money in the world, but it won't necessarily fix your issue. You still need people like Father Karras who have nothing. And when they work together, that's how they're able to exercise Pazuzu out of Reagan. Gosh, dang it, Steve. That was awesome. That was really <laughs> that was really well said, actually. And I'm very impressed with that because I did not even think about that. Because when I was writing this, I'm like, how am I supposed to care for for the McNeils because they're so rich and and you know she's getting invited to the White House for right. dinner with Richard Nixon? I'm like, I don't I really don't give a shit about celebrities. I'm I'm in that, you know, let's eat the rich sort of thing in, in the US. And you're absolutely right. I mean, our healthcare system is completely broken. And so that is nice to see the juxtaposition between a a lesser rich uh, Father Karras, to put it, a displaced Father Karras, I'll say, and then the wealthy uh, McNeils. And you're absolutely right. And I mean, I think that's really hammered home in the in the incredibly disturbing scene of Reagan getting tested at the hospital, mm-hmm. where all these things have to occur when it's just. You know, we as viewers know that something else is going on, but the mom is just like, yeah, the bed was shaking and the doctors are like, no, it's in her head. It's like, what? Like, right. are you kidding me? That over diagnosis and let's run all these tests, which probably cost, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars and poor Karis, like his, his poor mama, he has to pretty much leave her to die alone. Right. Um, yeah. Know, like a really bad, like hospital. And it's, yeah, it's sad. Like I, Father Karis' story in this is really sad. And they really make a point to show how little money they have. You know, the apartment is really like small and, you know, they're not eating this elaborate food. You know, he's eating basically leftovers. And yeah. it's just, <laughs> it's, yeah, it, I think that that was the reason that they made Chris McNeil rich in the movie. Yeah. He's got to work out at a punching bag and a boxing <laughs> yeah. gym and he's got to run around a track like a peasant. So. Yeah. He's basically Rocky, right? He looks a lot like, <laughs> <laughs> like Stallone. <I> know. <laughs> but especially in that gray, like sweatshirt oh, that he gosh. has when he's running. <laughs> I think Stallone would probably kick his ass, but that's okay. probably, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Demi, Demi might've been a good boxer back in this day. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so another one of my big issues with the exorcist um, that kind of carried over to this one too, you know, it, it's how many characters we're forced to keep track of. Like I understand Chris Reagan, father Karras and, and father Merrill. I, I know who they are. They're established throughout the film. I even understand Kinderman to a degree, even though he's kind of thrown in there. And, and I guess there are just a slew of other characters who would just appear on screen. And I guess I was just highly confused on who they were. I eventually was able to put those pieces together and identify who identify each one. But it did make the movie feel more convoluted than necessary. And I guess with that being said, Steve, who is the main character of The Exorcist? Uh, I think there are two. I think it's Father Karras and Chris McNeil. I Damn think it. those I was hoping are... you'd say Pazuzu. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, uh, I I really think those two are kind of the core of this movie. You know, Pazuzu and Reagan, you know, even though they're in it a lot in, you know, some way, are just kind of the MacGuffin for the story, right? It's really Chris McDeal and Karis that are completely doing their own thing. And then once they join together, you know, kind of the, the sparks happen for everything that happens from the exorcism and all that stuff. So I think those two are the main characters. But I do have a question for you on this one because I was really curious when I saw this question. Yeah, which characters specifically, or just a few of them, did you really think were unnecessary to film or just made it confusing? Um, so I didn't. I don't think she needed the assistant Sharon. Um, I don't really know what she added to the story. Um, same with. I mean, I guess the butler showed wealth, and I guess so Sharon could also show wealth. I feel like you might be able to do that in different ways. 
Um, and then also the guy that said that Burke was dead. I don't mm-hmm. know who that guy was. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't even really know. F- I mean, I, I knew Father Dyer, but I kind of, I, I was just like, who, wait, wait, who are you? And it just kind of went so fast that I thought he was just talking to a random guy because, right. I mean, all the white males looked pretty much the same. Um, and then, yeah, just uh, there were some others that were kind of in there. Kinderman, I caught on to later. I'm like, who is this old guy? And like, <laughs> Oh, OK, never mind. So it made sense that he was a cop and and I understood that. But like at that point, I was like, why do we keep bouncing around between these people when I'm I'm trying to focus on this possessed girl and then the exorcism? Um, and I mean, I guess, you know, the movie being called The Exorcist <laughs> should focus on Father Merrill, right, is The Exorcist. But. It's not called, you know, it's not called the exorcism, but I mean, I can, I can see what you're saying with Chris McNeil and Father Karras being the main characters. And I think that goes back to the previous question where you explained they're two different worlds um, mm-hmm. and they collide. Uh, but that's, that's what I was struggling with. We're, we're just those little side characters who I didn't think, I don't know if they added much, but I could be wrong. Yeah. I, I actually think, you know, to have a little bit of validity to your statement, I feel that the story with the detective and the director were yeah. unnecessary. Uh, you know, the same way you thought the Iraq part was unnecessary. Yeah. You know, it, it does add a little bit to the story, but fundamentally it doesn't really do all that much. You know, it's just because he also got his head turned around is, you know, and the whole window thing. We didn't need to know that, you know, we would have just accepted that he threw himself out the window mm-hmm. <laughs> because, he wanted to kill himself. You know, it didn't need to have that whole storyline of what happened to him and with the stairs and everything. So I thought that was kind of unnecessary. Some of the <laughs> other characters I was, I was fine with most of the characters, but I, I do agree. Sometimes characters came in and you're like, I don't remember who this is. <laughs> yeah. Like who was the, who was the priest that father Karras was talking to in the bar? And he's like, I, I'm losing my faith. Who was that guy? Yeah. He's, he's kind of the local uh, I don't know what they call him. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I'm not really religious, but yeah, the person who leads like that, the kind of the priest in that area, mm. you know, he he's essentially quitting to his boss, right? Yeah, that's kind of what that guy is. Okay, so I, I think that's what it was, but they didn't do a great job of establishing that. Yeah, and I think that that's the hard part is, and this is maybe just an issue with '70s movies in general. They have parts that seem to drag on. So like every Kinderman scene. You know, he doesn't even make an arrest in the movie. So I so no. I, I don't really understand his point. Like he's he's trying to um, figure out what happened to Burke, but he doesn't really do anything with that. Uh, you know, he doesn't arrest Reagan or anything. So it's it's kind of pointless. Even when he goes into the house and gets Chris's autograph and kind of asks her about stuff, sees the clay figurines, puts puts two and two together for the most part. Like mm-hmm. nothing happens. No, exactly. So, and that, that's why yeah, I, I don't really think his storyline was all that needed. Uh, but I did like his dialogue with Father Karras. So yeah, uh, you like movies? <laughs> yeah, right. And how he looks like different boxers. And <laughs> he, he had a really like chill style to him. Yeah, like, he's just very laid back. And you almost like trust him. Like he almost looks like he's your friend, even though he's investigating you at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, was, it, was, it was interesting. Yeah, the um, you know, the sequels and stuff like that, because now that I'm talking about this, I don't even think I have a question about the sequels. But um, we, we, we touched on the second one being not good at all. I think it's it's usually hailed on a lot of people's lists as like worst horror film sequel of all time. Yeah. Um, and I agree. I you know, I, I watched half of it and I just I couldn't get into it. I'm like, what is going on with these like therapy wave things they're doing? 
and it just it was so off the rails and the locust and James Earl Jones. Right. Um, so I just, wa- I read like a synopsis on what happened, but the mm. third one was good. And the third one, they actually used Kinderman, uh, but it's George C. Scott this time, who I think just knocks it out of the park. And then you get an amazing performance in my opinion, by, by Brad Dourif, who right. is just so creepy and so articulate and so like excellent in his role. Um, but, I think that that was a good use of Kinderman. So I'm, I guess in that sense, I'm glad that they left Kinderman in, right. you know, they had him in the movie and they expanded because then even Father Dyer was in there too, mm-hmm. you know, in the third one. And Karis um, for a little bit. So. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, true. Karis or Patient X. But, right, Patient X. <laughs> which that seemed a little weird too. And I like their explanation too. Like I had to build his brain cells back or something like I guess I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll suspend all disbelief, especially when there's a movie with an old lady walking on the ceiling. Like right, right. <laughs> one, one of the more effective parts in that movie, aside from the, the hedge clippers running through the, mm. that jump scare. It. Yeah. Dude, even I, watching it, I knew about it and I'm like, okay, though, this is the famous scene. And I'm like, Oh, what moment is, Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I forgot exactly what moment and it scared mm. the shit out of me. Cause it zooms in and then it's loud and you're just like, Oh God. <laughs> so. it's, it's so quick. And you, by the time you register it, it's already like that scene's over. And yeah. you're like, wow, that's yeah, it's great. It's a great jump scare. Like probably one of the better ones. It's re- it's just really effective. Like it's mm-hmm. it's really well done, and they 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 leave the camera there down that hallway, so you have the depth of field, and and it's just symmetrical on each side, and it's it's really well done. But right, yeah. Um, and so have you have you seen the other two that they uh, they did the kind of yeah reboots, I guess you could so say that's what I was gonna say. Um, so I saw I saw. Dominion. So there are two beginning films. There are two prequels right. to The Exorcist. There's Exorcist: The Beginning, and then there's Ex- Dominion, the right. prequel yep. to The Exorcist, or something. Mm-hmm. Now I had to do some research because I remember back in the Netflix days of DVD, I actually got these movies because they were newer, like they had just come out, and I watched them without having seen The Exorcist, mm. uh, which is kind of weird because right. I didn't really know what was going on. I still didn't know what was going on when I watched them. And I didn't realize they were kind of the same movie. I thought that they were sequels. Turns out they're both prequels. But what happened was there was studio interference. And I guess the director, and correct me if I'm wrong too, but the director wasn't happy with his first version. And there was a lot of um, on-set fighting. And so they re-released a second version like months later. And it was named Dominion or something. And it's just, it, it's super messy, but I saw both. I don't remember a single thing about it other than Stellan Skarsgård is in like a cave somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's basically the gist of it is that they made the movie and the studio said, no, this is awful. Remake it. So they, they, com- <laughs> they completely scrapped the movie, remade it from scratch, just the whole movie and then released it and people hated it. And then they're like, you know what? We made this other movie. Let's just finish it. And ended up releasing the other version, which people ended up liking more. That's so, so weird. People <laughs> liked the version they scrapped more than the version they first released. Oh so, my gosh. It, yeah, it was a messy and weird situation. But now we, we got two films out of it. Yeah, which is weird. I mean, I guess they're still canonical because they're in that. Because he plays a young Father Marin, right? That's right. Stone yeah. Skarsgård. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of me wants to rewatch because this is what I do when I start watching series. Like I just watched uh, Psycho 3 because it had been a while since I'd seen. Mm. So I saw Psycho 1 and 2 last year and I loved them. And yeah. then Psycho 3 was actually really good, like it in is. my opinion. 
it's very underrated. And so um, I like to be a completionist and watch things throughout the series. So I think I'll probably have to go back and watch the beginning mm. um, and or Dominion to kind of pick up and see little Easter eggs that they might have uh, had. Right. Um, but yeah, it's it, it is it is very interesting. And, you know, they have the newest the Exorcist um, Believer. Believer. And then I think there's going to be two more Redeemer and Deceiver or something right, like that. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to spoil anything. Um, Steven is, and his, uh, on the Horse Squad podcast, they have an excellent episode that they released a little while ago um, on the Exorcist Believer uh, that I highly recommend everyone listen to. Um, it has spoilers, but man, it's, uh, it's good. And I definitely was like, I don't know if I want to see this movie now, but I also do want to see it. So. 50 50 there but yeah and and it's yet another one you know this it's the whole requel thing where Uh, it's only a sequel to the first one so if you do watch believer you only need to watch the original exorcist and it's like that's all the rage in horror right now is like let's only make a sequel to the first one that's that's not fair i feel like it's such a slap in the face that movies (laughs) like you know if they eventually do that with uh fred or a nightmare on elm street i'm gonna be pissed because dream warriors is like my favorite one and so (laughs) right i'll be pretty upset if they just requel it but absolutely um yeah okay well here's here's my biggest issue now this is i mean let's just call it for what it is I, i mean i this could be an issue for any movie but with the exorcist it's just so damn long it's like a two hour movie i think a little over two hours and we only really get nine minutes of the actual exorcism itself like and we we don't really even see true signs of possession until about 40 minutes in uh, when we get all that bed shaking and you're like whoa something definitely is going on and sure there's little little things that lead up to it uh, like her coming downstairs and peeing and, and whatever but the bed shakings when you're really like whoa man this is getting pretty pretty crazy um but then it kind of it kind of pitters out here and there there are obviously some incredible scenes where you know she's stabbing herself with the crucifix and she fights off chris and there are some really intense moments but then they're completely mellowed out um so that was hard for me because it was like there were it was teasing me and I guess it's just it's a lot to ask of an audience to sit through a movie this long with with not much going on for a good majority. So in your opinion, help me like, is this worth it to be this long? Uh, Yeah, I I think so. I think this is one of the prime examples of a successful slow burn because it starts off slow and then slowly increases the tension, slowly increases the scares until the final what, 15 minutes where they start kind of preparing for the exorcism and then actually perform the exorcism, which is just balls to the wall, like crazy. Right. And that's what I like so much about it. They don't throw everything at you right away. They really make you care for the characters, care for what's happening, show Reagan's kind of slow uh, possession. You know, she doesn't just wake up possessed one day, which a lot of um, exorcism movies like lately have been, they get possessed and boom, their eyes rolled back of their head and they're, they're gross <laughs> immediately. Whereas her it's, you know, doctors have to try to figure out it's months between the events of the film. It's, it's, it's even a little fast at times. It's, you know, father Karras is visiting his mother in the hospital. And then the very next scene is like, did you hear about father Karras? His mother died uh, yeah. a while back, you know, I, n- I noticed that that was a little interesting. I'm like, wait, what? He was just there. <laughs> exactly. So it's almost like they go too fast in some scenes. Um, so I personally think it's a great slow burn. And I was actually surprised to see 
this kind of on your sheet of questions because as a fan of a fellow fan of A24 movies, this is kind of like their thing is that they're super slow for the majority of the film and slowly build up to what is usually a really crazy end scene. Yeah, I know. And, and I think that's what is confusing me too, Steve. Like I, I love slow burn movies, Hereditary, Midsommar. I mean, those are two Ari Aster films, but I mean, those are the ones that come to mind for slow burn in, in recent memory. And maybe it's the modernization of film and maybe it's the modernization of storytelling. Like I, I was saying, there are many 70s films that are heavy on dialogue, but I don't feel like it's good cohesive dialogue. It just kind of exists mm. and it doesn't really feel like it progresses anything. Uh, and I felt like that with this movie. And I mean, essentially, since the movie's called The Exorcist, I'm waiting for that exorcism. And I think maybe I just got in my own head about it. Now, I don't want that to take away from that last like nine to 15 minutes or whatever, because I think that is superb. I think it is beautifully done. It is scary as hell for the most part. Um, it's just it's, it's it's a wonderful moment where they're building up for the exorcism and you could actually see it. And it's a lot, man. I mean, you're really captivated and watching that entire scene. And I'm like, OK, this is this is a good payoff. I still feel like the movie is just so long and and. I don't know what it is because the shining's just as long. And I that's I would argue is probably even slower in moments. Yeah, yeah but, I would think so, too. But it, I think in that way, it's paced better on how you progressively start to see Jack completely start to lose his mind. And a lot of that has to deal with the intercuttings of the passage of time where it says like one month later and then one week later and then like mm. Tuesday and then like two hours or something. So that helps a bit. And maybe maybe if they did that, that could help this movie. But I, I I don't really think so. Yeah, I, I think The Shining is actually a good example of something that I feel is similar in terms of pacing and the way that the characters kind of descend into madness. I think in this one, Karis is kind of that character of Jack where he's starting and he's already had a crisis of faith, right? And as the movie progresses, he loses more and more faith to the point where he almost doesn't even want to be a priest anymore. And it's not until he's summoned to investigate reagan where he doesn't believe that she's possessed at that point he he has no faith anymore he he thinks it's just a medical issue it's a you know she just needs psychiatry essentially but as he starts investigating reagan and he takes you know note of her voice and she's talking different languages and and that he starts gaining his faith again so it's like you know you see him go to the bottom and then start becoming more and more faithful and which is what gives him the power to essentially uh, defeat Pazuzu at the end of it. So I, I like kind of the slow burn aspect of this, but they throw in some crazy scenes, you know, between that slow burn, which is something I also think uh, the shining did right. There's it's slow, slow, slow. Then boom, the Grady twins or Grady sisters. I yeah. should say they're not twins, but <laughs> the Grady sisters. And then nothing happens for a while. Then boom, you have room two thirty seven, And it's just, you know, it's mm. kind of like these big moments. Whereas in this it's, <laughs> and she, you know, does something with a crucifix. She mm -hmm. tries to get her mom to eat her. She like um, <laughs> in the director's cut, she comes down the stairs in a spider walk and has blood out of her mouth. You know, it, it has these very iconic moments thrown in to keep you interested and remind you that this is a story about a possessed little girl. That makes more sense. I guess, man, I don't know. I guess I just, I wasn't seeing it when I watched it, but mm -hmm. 
going back to the earlier question, I mean, maybe I do just need to rewatch it again and it'll click because I am thinking of The Shining, right? And those those moments why I love it so much is because it is that slow burn and and that payoff The you Mm -hmm. know, I I corrected her. Um, It even that scene when you meet Mr. Grady, it's just like, why is he going to the bathroom with this butler? And they're having this really long conversation. And oh, that's Mr. Grady. And it's just it's it's really well done, but I could see you showing it to someone who'd never seen it and be like, oh, my God, this movie's so boring. <laughs> mm-hmm. But maybe that was my own fault with it. So, OK, um, I do want to follow up on that, though, on the previous question about the length. So mm-hmm. I, I do feel that this movie needs to be trimmed uh, regardless. And I guess if you needed to trim anything, what would you cut to help the film? For me, it would be the director's death. Um, you know, I just don't think it was necessary to the story. Like, it's cool that it, like a lot of the stuff that happens with his death comes back at the end of the film, you know, falling down the stairs, he killed himself, got thrown out of the window, uh, which also leads to the detective and everything. But was it absolutely crucial to the story? I personally don't think so. And that would have cut uh, it, that you would have focused a little bit more on Karis and Chris, as opposed to having kind of this side story going on that really doesn't lead to anything significant in the movie. Right. Yeah, that's a good, I mean, that's a good point. You could do that. I would say, I mean, I get what you're saying with the opening for for finding the statue of Pazuzu. Mm-hmm. I would trim parts of that, though, to make it less busy. One thing I did appreciate in that opening was the fact that it felt eerie, like people were constantly watching Father Karras. Right. Uh, you know, like the people around him were, were looking at him, that guy with the glassy eye, was looking at him. Even the own guards had, you know, had guns and it was kind of foreshadowing um, that. And that also gave us the scene too, where he takes his, I think it's like um, those pills that he was taking, pills, nitroglycerin yeah. pills. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, so he definitely has heart issues. Uh, and that kind of pays out. And it clearly scared him because he's sh- drinking that tea and shaking. Right. Um, so I think there are certain things you can trim down the party scene, cut out the Burke scene <laughs> where he's arguing with the Butler. Um, right. I mean, I don't know. There's 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 parts that I would probably like. Why does why does we have to see that Father Karras was a boxer? Like, does that have any bearing on any of it? I mean, I know right. it's just a character piece, but um, there are moments that I think that you could get this down to a, to a, a good one forty, and mm-hmm. it would still be an hour forty, I should say, and it would still be really good. Right. Uh, but oh, that was those were some of my issues with it because I just. I'm, I'm normally not like this, but I was like looking at my phone and I'm like, oh, my God, it's this is already it's still going. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, it was tough. But, I, you know, I digress. I'm not a filmmaker. Um, OK, so The Exorcist was based off of William Peter Blatty's novel, which was inspired by a real exorcism in 1949. So you asked this question to me and I'm asking it to you, too. How do you feel about exorcisms and have you seen any videos or documentaries on the subject? And I'll answer first because you asked to put this on Mm it. Um, Exorcisms, I believe in. Uh, I'm with you on on the VHS 85 podcast we did. We were talking about things that scare us. And I think you and I are cut from the same cloth in that sense of I am terrified of possession films and, and, and demonology and stuff because that is that terrifies me if you can't see something right. Mm-hmm. And David would have been good to have on this podcast. Unfortunately, he was he was tied up at the moment because he has a Catholic background and I think that, you know, Catholicism focused a lot on the exorcisms in the past. And I know that there are other religions that do it as well. But I think that's the most um, 
uh, illustrated the one we've seen throughout history. Uh, and, and they, they scare me, man. I, I don't know if I've seen any like actual documentation or videos, just things I've read in excerpts and whatnot and word of mouth. Um, and it, it does scare the crap out of me because I would never say that it's not real. I would say there's some varying degrees of what it can do. Like, I don't think you can levitate off the ground and shake the whole house and whatnot, but there's, you know, documented cases of people speaking in tongues and, and these things acting all crazy and, and, you know, farm animals dying around the house. So that, that really does scare me. Um, so I think that I understand why this movie made people like faint or, or not want to go see it in theaters. Right. Because it just was, it was so real, especially if you're a religious person. Uh, but no, I haven't really watched anything. Like, what about you? Uh, a ton because I am fascinated by religion and all religions. You know, I, I don't subscribe to any one creed. I just, I'm fascinated by religion, you know, and especially Catholicism. Now that might be because I grew up as a Catholic and my family was deeply is deeply religious. Uh, I went even all the way to the Vatican and saw all that stuff. I saw the Pope, and it was like a whole thing. But I just lost my faith completely at, on that trip. Actually, ironically, so <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I I don't I it, I just saw too much fakeness yeah. and show. Anyway, it's that's a whole different conversation. But to the point <laughs> being that I find it interesting because. Catholics and specifically have a lot of these crazy stories about demons and, uh, you know, corpses that don't deteriorate and they have saints that fly. And it's like this whole thing. And exorcism in particular and demonology is super interesting to me. So I looked up a lot of different cases. One in particular is the case of Annalise Michelle. So Annalise Michelle is uh, the basis of the exorcism of Emily Rose. The movie oh. they made in the early 2000s. Yeah. It's a girl who they thought was possessed. And if you Google it, I'm warning you, it's pretty creepy. Uh, just the way she looked kind of reminds me of Reagan a little bit. Uh, not as as crazy, but really, really like she's sunk, her eyes are sunken in. They're all black. It's really nuts. If you listen to the tapes on YouTube, she kind of does that kind of crazy voice and says some crazy stuff. And, you know, it's it's really interesting. And actually... William Friedkin, one of the last projects he worked on was a documentary about uh, Father of Morth. Father of Morth was the lead exorcism at the Vatican. And for anyone who's seen The Pope's Exorcist from this year, it follows that character, so that oh. actual person. And it's a really good documentary. Whether or not you believe in exorcism, it's it's well done. They kind of talk about the exorcist as well, obviously, since it's directed by, by Friedkin himself. And you get to see Father of Morth do an exorcism and they talk to the people who, you know, who are there at the exorcism and they talk to other priests and what are their thoughts on it. I highly recommend checking out his documentary. And if you're really interested in it, like I said, Annalise Michelle is quite the, uh, the deep dive into the subject. It's, yeah, it's crazy, man. And it's, it's interesting too, because I don't know how much you could fake that stuff back then because obviously they didn't have the internet. Right. And it's not like you're going to get clout for faking. There, there's no like game. That. That's, yeah, there's no that's game. Exactly. Right. So it'd be different now, obviously, where we have things that are Photoshop and we have, you know, CGI and whatnot. But back then, what's what's the gain? What's what's the point of it? So that is interesting. And I think you might have awoken something in me and I'm going to have to probably start watching <laughs> some of these. Cool. And I probably won't be able to sleep, but. Um, yeah, that's, and that's awesome. Also, do I believe in it though? <laughs> I really? don't know. Yeah, you know, I, I just 
I'm a strong proponent of mental health and I feel that a priest isn't really going to help these people. I think they need professional psychiatry and psychology. And that's why I like Father Karras so much. He's kind of both. Mm -hmm. So he represents kind of both the science and the religion. So I like that character for that. I don't, I don't know. My mom um, was, is what was a nurse? She's retired now. And her first job was working in a psych ward. And she told me the story of a woman who would often come uh, to her ward because they'd find her doing all this crazy stuff. And she didn't believe in any of the, you know, she's a nurse. I mean, she sees everything, right? But one time they found her in a tree with her eyes glazed white. Her tongue was sticking out longer than it should have. And she had spiders all over her body. And the ambulance drivers, the uh, police officers that were there, all said, I've never seen anything that scary in my entire life. And she says, my mom said, of all the people I worked with, that's the one case that actually scared me to my core. Wow. So it's There's also things that make me believe, right? I'm kind of like on the fence. It's, it's crazy. And I, I guess a lot of it is, you know, word of mouth or uh, rhetoric and stuff. It, it can be at least. Um, it's just... It's it's tough because it's hard to say not. I can't I can't necessarily right. say not. I'm with you though too. I mean, obviously we have a mental health issue both in Canada and the U.S. and the world everywhere. Yeah. And so uh, we having having a, somebody who you know you can pray this away or you can come and exercise it. Not the not the most sound advice. Right. Um. And that is that is cool that Father Karras, you know, a St. John's Bellevue and Harvard man was able to to brush this off until he saw it for himself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the hard part is like, when do we just say, oh, this is real versus, oh, they're definitely faking it. Uh, it's hard for me to necessarily say that this could never happen or it doesn't happen. I mean, I'm always going to be a believer, the exorcist believer. So, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like I'll go down a rabbit hole if I when I start watching these and if right. I like want to continue and, and just really verse myself in it. But uh, I'm not religious either, too. I didn't grow up religious. So I think that maybe makes it better for me. But mm. who knows? Um, okay, so the Exorcist movie was not only famous for what you see on screen, but also for what happened behind the scenes. Have you heard the stories and what are your thoughts on them? So this was a question that you posed to me. Um, I know Shudder has a uh, series. I can't remember what it's called, but David was actually telling me about it. And I watched mm-hmm. uh, half of the first episode that focused on The Exorcist. And unfortunately, you know, Friedkin treated uh, Linda Blair very terribly, um, mm-hmm. which was not fun. And I don't appreciate that because she was a kid. Uh, you know, she even had like back issues from that bed rig. Uh, Chris McNeil had back issues. Or, I'm sorry. Um, Ellen Burstyn had back issues during that, like, you know, that slamming scene. Uh, in the bedroom and it sounded like there were some some other like issues too i think there was a guy who was a serial killer uh in the movie who was like mm-hmm. a doctor um and correct me if i'm wrong in any of these things but uh that was that was odd did anyone like die besides that though like was anyone experiencing any any paranormal stuff so it had a not as like cre- not as nuts as a poltergeist uh, backstory where the actors were dying yeah like, after the movie there are some people who worked behind the scenes who died quote unquote mysteriously uh, shortly after having made this film, which is what kind of led to some of the rumors of the set being possessed. The, uh, the set of the bedroom also burnt down. So that 
you know, a lot of people in articles at that time were saying that if you mess with the devil, the, the devil messes back. And that's kind of a lot of the paranormal rumors of what this movie was. But yeah, it's to me, it, it's really the way freaking treated this cast and the people who work there is particularly Reagan. You know, you, you kind of talked about it when Reagan first, like she's slamming against the bed, like just forward and backwards in a really violent way. But he thought her reaction wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. So he told the rig guy for the back piece to loosen the rig so that her back would hit the rig before it hit the bed. Oh my God. So that she would have a more painful reaction to that mm. scene, which is what caused her back issues. Um, also, another scene that I think it's in the making of, I don't know if it's in that particular documentary on Shutter, which is great. I love that series. It, mm-hmm. it treats all of these stories respectively, you know, uh, like respectfully, not just sensationally. And the priest at the end, when he's over Father Karras and he's praying over his body, once he threw himself down uh, the stairs, mm-hmm. he didn't like he he thought he wasn't like sad enough, I guess, for that that his friend had died. So he went over to him, he slapped him, and then went back and said, "Action!" And that's why in the scene he's like shaking and Jesus. he's all red and stuff like that. Like freaking was a complete nightmare of a director, and it's uh, it's kind of sad, you know. It's Filming was different. I mean, Kubrick was kind of a psycho too when it came to uh, filming things. It's it's a different way of life back then, you know. I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, that's no. that's not it's not good. And you're right. Yeah, Kubrick, he notoriously treated uh, Shelley Duvall terribly, and mm-hmm. and would make her do tons and tons of takes, and just would. I mean, even I was watching a, a vignette on it too, and it was it was rough. He just how he spoke to her too. He, he was a right. prick. And that poor woman, you know, like she didn't deserve that. And, and I know that people can say, oh, it was a different time, but it still doesn't excuse absolutely not how, how they did it. So um, that's hard. And, you know, I read this really good book. It was called Monsters. And I think it's like how we how we appreciate them or something. It was basically discussing how we separate the art from the artist, where mm. you have a Roman Polanski who's just a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. Yet he has some amazing films. Woody Allen, same thing. Bill Cosby, Kanye West, uh, all of these people who are just heinous folk. Yet they produce these things that were like, God damn, this is some amazing stuff. And do I feel bad for watching this? And the short answer is that's not up for you to decide if you're a bad person for liking it, because we consume the art being subjective and, and, and we like what we like. Um, you can't control that other person. Now you can be against it. So with Friedkin, that guy, sound, he sounds like a piece of shit in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, sad that he died because you don't want anybody to really die, but um, it doesn't give him the right to, to do what he did, but he did, pre- he did create some, some good films in, in, or, you know, in the annals of film history, at least. Yeah, so the, yeah. the, the way I, I see that, and it happens with a lot of directors, you're like, do I watch this film? Because the director kind of did right. bad things and stuff like that. Is that, if you know anything about film, the director is such a small piece of it. Yes, he's the figurehead of, of the whole movie, yeah. but there are so many creative people who work on the film that you can't just discredit them because one person is an asshole, you know? there's Yeah. So, I mean, especially, like, you look at The Exorcist, the score, you know, we didn't really mention it. So it's good. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And the makeup effects and the animatronic that they made Reagan and Reagan had to be played by three different people because yeah. it was such a complex role. It's you can't take away from all those people just because freaking was, you know, kind of a dickhead. So, 
I mean, yeah, you're right. And we'll touch on that now. So the score is super iconic. You you have yeah. somebody playing that piano music. If I heard that in my house right now, uh, amidst, it, it's got to be up there with some of the best horse themes like in mm-hmm. history. And if, you know, if I heard that or the or the, yeah. you know, the, the Halloween, Halloween. Uh, song, I mean, that or even Nightmare on Elm Street, you're hearing the either the one, two, Freddy's coming for you or the or his theme. Yeah. I mean, those are going to scare the shit out of me. And with The Exorcist, it's really well done. I, I agree with you. I think the music is fantastic. I said the lighting, too, was was mm. so good, especially. So you you talked about the most iconic opening and intro for like any character. And I'm I'm with you on that. I think it's definitely up there where Marin gets out of the car and it's just he's silhouetted by that one light pretty much mm. on him. The street light. Really cool stuff. When I, I, I appreciated the hell out of that. Yeah, in, in a movie full of iconic images, because yeah. there are a lot of iconic mi- images from this movie, the fact that it's just a guy standing, you know, w- with a hat <laughs> outside, that's probably the most iconic image is, is pretty crazy. It's very, very well done. So the cinematographer and the gaffer and everything, great job. <laughs> yeah, and the 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 makeup itself, like I said, was was so awesome. I mm-hmm. mean, even, even having the vomit looks so disgusting and so vile. And Meriden just taking it in the face like a champ and continuing reading was disgusting. Um, you know how I feel about e- eating stuff and especially vomiting <laughs> right. too. So that was hard for me to watch because I'm just like, oh, God, please clean yourself up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like I thoroughly appreciated that. And I and I think you're, you're right. It's not just because Friedkin was the director doesn't mean this was his movie. It was a collective unit, just as any film is. Um but you know he he's the quarterback. He gets he That's gets right. asso- associated with it, and and I get it. I I completely understand. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. Uh, the the gal that did Reagan's voice too, this uh, older lady. She I guess she chain smoked and yeah. she was like doing some other stuff to like get her her voice very heavy. You know that it's a wonderful day of an exorcism. Exactly. And and, and then uh, Eileen Dietz, who was the other person mm-hmm. who played Reagan. Uh, she's both Pazuzu and Reagan in all the stunt scenes, or the majority of the stunt scenes. Mm. So, uh, and a nice, nice lady. I, I met her a couple times and I actually bought a Pazuzu statue from her oh, that, God, she, she, that she signed. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> she sells uh, them on her, if ever you're interested, she sells them on Facebook. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's one of my favorite possessions. <laughs> See, I just told you I'm, I'm scared of exorcisms. What the hell do I want a Pazuzu statue in my house for? I'm going to burn that shit with fire. Oh, right. my God. Between that and paranormal activity, just knowing. Should I get a Ouija board while I'm at it, too? Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. Oh, God. No, thank you. <laughs> but no, you're right. I think. I think that that is it's it's highly highly important for any film that we watch any any art that we consume to understand you know how does it make you feel that's how you should appreciate your art no no one can tell you otherwise if it's mm-hmm. good or bad you know you loving the exorcist and me maybe not loving it as much um shouldn't tell you that this movie sucks it's it's your own opinion on things and i think that's the beauty of film is we can all have different opinions yeah, and absolutely. so and we can separate the friedkins from you know, the Spielbergs. Because so. <laughs> Spielberg is a sick. We, we hope. We hope. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just waiting for 10 more years yeah, when yeah, we hear right. stuff. And I'm like, oh, God, no. <laughs> he touched that T-Rex, you know, in a right, right. way. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Here's the big question now, too, Steve. The Exorcist, I said, my mom was terrified of it. Your mom didn't even want to watch it. Many people boycotted it. Linda Blair had to have bodyguards for like six months after the movie because the church was 
or, you know, was like, hey, we're going to get you all these uh, evangelical people were like, how dare you do this? She had a good freaking bodyguards and she was like 12 <laughs> crazy stuff. So with that being said, I guess is the exorcist the scariest movie of all time? That It's such a tough question because it depends what scares you. You know, do I think it's the scariest of all time? No, because it's not something that overly scares me. You know, I it, it really depends what triggers you as a person. What scared me when I was a kid was Night of the Living Dead because it reminded me of my grandparents' house, which also had a cemetery down the road. And oh, I God. thought, fuck, <laughs> that, that's going to happen to me. You know, So it, it really depends on how you feel about a movie. It, is it in the conversation? Absolutely. Because there are some big scares, and I think it scares a lot of people. It just It's tough to say is it's the scariest movie of all time. It's scarier than Sinister, which is I, I was voted scariest movie of all time in some poll with some magazine did not too long ago. But... Yeah, it's in the conversation. For me personally, it isn't. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's it's incredibly subjective. I'm looking at uh, some lists. So there's a September 30th, 2022 article on Rotten Tomatoes, and it just had this 10 scariest horror movies of all time. And of course, uh, Exorcist was number one. Um, there are a lot of possession films on it, too. Hereditary, number two. Conjuring, number three. So I mean, mm-hmm. right there, three possession films, right? Then The Shining, Texas Chainsaw, uh, The Ring, another kind of possession film, sort of. Right. Uh, Halloween, Sinister, number eight, Insidious, number nine. So there's two more kind of possession films and then It. Um, I, I think these are hard to, to, to list because you're absolutely right. Like what's scary to certain people may not be scary to others. Uh, gory movies might be scary to people, whereas other people eat that shit up. Right. Um, for me, it's always paranormal movies because it's the unseen uh, right. or alien movies because I don't like aliens at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, a slasher film I could watch day and night. I'll put it on in the background. I put like scream, right. on, scream on while I'm like brushing my teeth, and right. just because I love that movie so much. And so, it's it is tough. Um, I, I don't really know what my definitive answer for number one would be. Like if I said my favorite horror film of all time, it's got to be The Thing. Uh, but it doesn't mean it's the scariest. Right. I, right. I can make an argument for it being the scariest, and I'm sure people could make an argument for The Exorcist being the scariest of all time as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just not one to to do that. <laughs> right. Is there any movie that ever like scared you? Like even if you're a kid that just for so, whatever reason gave you nightmares or you had to yeah. sleep the lights on for a while. <laughs> oh man. Um, couple things. So I was really terrified of vampires when I was a kid. I was a wimp mm. with a horror film, which is funny <laughs> because I horror is, is my favorite genre. Um, I'm not as hardcore as some people, but it definitely is my favorite genre. And, I, I remember definitively the first horror film that I really was able to kind of watch through was Halloween H2O. I was at a friend's birthday party and peer pressure got the best of me. Uh, we, we started it um, and we're like, oh, we're, let's all go watch Halloween H2O in the bedroom. We turn off the lights and there's probably six of us. And I was shaking like my body was shaking because I was so nervous. I watched the first kill with Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Uh, I skate in the face and I plug my ears and I ran out of the room and I was crying. I was probably like 12 or whatever. Uh, and my friend's mom was so sweet. She drove me to the store to get ice cream for the group because they were kind of making fun of me. And she explained that when she was a little girl, she saw Carrie in theaters and she did. She had the same reaction. It terrified her. <laughs> so that was like super comforting. Uh, but what I did is I said, all right, you got this. So I went in for the end of the movie, the final like 
30 minutes and I watched it and I was like, holy shit, like seeing Michael Myers head get cut off. That was so cool. So I was like talking about it at school. Like I was this, this, you know, true horror fan. And it, that really actually opened up, um, horror for me. I started watching the, the movies because before that, I remember when I was a kid, I was scared of vampires. So when I'd go to bed, I'd pull the blanket like all the way over my neck and my head and then just all through my body. So the only thing showing was just my face because I thought vampires bite necks. And if I have Mm. my blanket covering my neck, they won't be able to bite me. So that always that always terrified me. Um, Yeah, I mean, blankets are like diplomatic immunity (laughs) for kids, right? Like They'll protect from anything. Yeah, if you leave if you leave it out, you have to tuck your feet in because if you leave yeah. it open, oh, yeah. the, the boogeyman or whatever can, can right. pull you. It's like, oh man, yeah, diplomatic immunity. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> and then uh, maximum overdrive. And I discussed this previously. Mm. So that movie, it was, it's such a stupid ass movie by Stephen <laughs> King. But I remember I was like watching TNT one day. I think my dad was watching it when I was really young. And that movie came on and I saw the part when the lawnmower is like searching for the kid right. and it's all bloody. And I just it was like, Dad, what are we watching? That movie scared the shit out of me. I couldn't go by like hair dryers and stuff without thinking something was going to happen. Right. So it, it was a lot. But obviously, I've grown since then. And I do think if I put something on now, the most visceral reaction I probably had from a movie was Paranormal Activity, the first one, mm-hmm. um, just because the bumps in the night that you hear. Uh, I don't think it's scary anymore, but I still think that was highly, highly effective for me. Um, And then there are other moments, too, like in Nope, when the Gordy scene, uh, Mm. that really got me um, just because I think it was really well done. But yeah, I was I was shaking a little bit. So there there are moments. I don't know if I can necessarily pinpoint them, though. Right. But sorry, long winded. I just I had a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Cool. Well, you know, that is The Exorcist, and I think that's a good conversation. Do you have any, anything else to add on The Exorcist while we got it? I mean, we can just free free ball right here. No, not really. You know, it's, um, me, it's one of my top three horror films of all time. You know, it's I absolutely adore The Exorcist. I watch it many, many times, and I, you know, even rewatching it, I was excited to rewatch it, and I loved every minute of it. And it's funny because you're saying how long and, like, how dragged out it was. For me, it like flew by. You know, I watched it. Oh, uh, I don't remember if it was yesterday or the day before, <laughs> and I was just so excited to rewatch it. It's it's just one of those movies that I enjoy so much, and yeah, it's it's great. Maybe that director's cut's like thirty minutes shorter, so maybe I need to watch. Yeah, that right. One. Yeah, <laughs> not quite. <laughs> it's probably longer, if anything. Yeah. Um, okay, so we'll we'll do this bonus question thing at the end of this, but uh, let's go to the hottest take. Steve, I want you to choose your your most controversial take on this movie, movies of this genre, of this era, on actors, on directors, on whatever. What's your hottest take? So I, I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the movie, and it made me think of the franchise that this movie is now a part of, with Believer having been released. It got me thinking: what is the best horror franchise? What franchise can I say is the one that really doesn't miss? And I thought about it a long time, and it's going to be a maybe something that people wouldn't expect out of me with all the classics out there. Mm-hmm. But the only series that I can think of that has absolutely nothing lower than an 8 out of 10 is Evil Dead. I Ooh. like every single Evil Dead movie. One, two... Army of Darkness, the remake, and Evil Dead Rise from this year. I think they're all great, which is, I can't say that for Halloween, Nightmare, Friday, 
uh, Conjuring because of Conjuring 3, like Insidious. I didn't love the fourth one, and the fifth one wasn't that great. I can't say that about any franchise except Evil Dead, and uh, for, for horror anyway. So that is probably a controversial, <laughs> my controversial take for... That, I... I... I think I agree with you. I'm I'm like trying to rack my brain because as soon as you said that, I was like, oh, man, you're right. What? Because I love the the horror franchises. Um, unlike other movies, you know, like Fast and Furious, I cannot stand even though I keep watching them mm-hmm. and I, I just want them to die. But like the Saw movies keep making them. I I'm right. cool. I'm cool with it because I think you can get some real creative work out of it. I don't like this Conjuring universe that keeps splitting off because like the nun two I heard was trash. Uh, I, I liked it, but yeah, well, a lot of people shit. did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you're right, though, with the Evil Dead. That is, uh, that's a really good call. I really enjoy Evil Dead Rise. Um, I didn't really love it, but I think stylistically it was so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were some pretty incredible moments in that movie that really got me. So I, I did love that. Texas Chainsaw, yeah, it had a couple misses. Yeah, uh, definitely. definitely. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, the, sec- the beginning and all that stuff. And- yeah. The second one is off the off the wall. I yeah. do. I do appreciate the second one, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, tr- I'm just looking some up right now. Uh, aliens. Oh, man. Three. Three is not the- really great. A- after three, honestly. Oh, yeah. Just, true. Like yeah. The Prometheus and whatnot. Yeah. Prometheus was OK, but yeah. they're, they're yeah, resurrection and. They're just there's some bad ones. The hard thing for me is I'm a huge Friday the 13th fan. So for five is not good. Um, and Jason takes Manhattan is not good. And Jason X. How I dare can you really? I know. <laughs> God, oh, I know it's your favorite movie, but oh, man, it's bad. Um, but Jason X isn't isn't that bad. Like it's it's stupid, but it knows it's stupid. And that's yeah. that's the but, beauty of it. But Jason goes to hell is not good. Either. So bad. He's like yeah. not even in it. It's it's right. terrible. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, you're right. The nightmare movies, uh, the one with the video game is oh my stupid God. F- as yeah. hell. Five, Five, six, yeah, and dead. I, I can't. Nope. Yeah, I'm okay yeah. without it. Um, yeah, I don't really see any. Final Destination, yeah, those are those get pretty rough at times, too. Mm-hmm. Um, Saw. Saw has a couple that are not great. The, right, the, in the, the middle there. Yeah, there's one, the final chapter one with uh, the Saw 3D. That one's... Yep trash i didn't i didn't like it but mm-hmm. uh, everything else is solid so i like okay i like that opinion um i would say for like my hot take for this uh this isn't even a hot take but i mean practical effects will win every single time for me uh and you can see it in movies like this where they're using mm-hmm. practical effects you can use cgi to to help to enhance, yeah, enhance. but mm-hmm. do not do not lean on it and that's my issue with the la lorena and the nun and the other movies there's just too many cgi moments that really didn't do it for me um and i really like james wan a lot like so in um what was it malignant or whatever yeah. that, I, I like the idea of it it just was so goofy like when she gets all backwards and is fighting people in the police right. station <laughs> i was like all right man i gotta turn this off um so I, practical is king to me every single time practical will win yeah but, i um, completely agree cool okay uh so what is your letter grade for the exorcist oh a plus 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 like i just it's it's top three you know i I watch hundreds of of horror movies every year and i still consider it top three along with dawn of the dead and 
maybe another hot take, but Ghostbusters, I think, is a horror movie. So I love Ghostbusters. No, I'm with you. Dude, it's scary. There are some visually disturbing moments (laughs) in it. Absolutely. Yeah, you're like, like, when you see Zool, you're like, holy shit. And the librarian, (laughs) that scared me as a kid. Yeah. (laughs) I'm with you. I got my my Ecto-1 sticker on my mug there, so... yeah, you know what? And okay, I'll, I'll just be honest with this. I did not like The Exorcist. However, after speaking with you and understanding the gravity and and the pull it has on the history of horror, I have to rate it higher because it would be it would be a sham if I didn't because I really really appreciate everything that it did and it kind of set foundations on what you can do in horror films. So, it's I mean, it's got to be a B for me, man. Like it, if you asked me, if you asked me yeah. two years ago, it was a a, a D, D minus, like seriously. But well, improving, yeah, we'll, honestly, we'll, we'll get you there. It's it's got to be a B for me. I think that's. I, I just I, I really enjoy your take on on the, the rich and poor thing with Father Karras and Chris McNeil, and I think that put it in a completely different perspective for me that I I, I think I like a lot more. So. Yeah, you know, you know what? One last thing I want to yeah. say about this movie that I I've noticed a lot in recent years is that. It almost, it mo- it it like made this subgenre of exorcism films, mm. but it also severely hurt this genre, this subgenre, because it's very rare that I watch an exorcism film and don't think, ah, oh, they're just copying The Exorcist, or they, they're, you know, The Exorcist did this better, and I don't do that for any other subgenre. I don't watch zombie movies and think, you know, even though Dawn of the Dead is, you know, in the top, the top for me, I never mm. think, oh, you know, Dawn of the Dead did it better. And the same thing with ghosts and the same thing with slashers. There's just something exorcism films. It's like, they're always going to live in this movie shadow. Yeah. That is a bummer. I wonder if, and yeah, you can't really do anything new. You could, I just don't know what that formula is. And we're waiting for that. Right. I mean, the exorcism of God had zombie Jesus, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) fuck, like what more can they do to get out of the shadow of this movie? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is weird. I don't know. And, and you can't necessarily copy it directly either too, because then it's, I mean, everybody's going to be like, well, this is just a a, a repeat of of the exorcist. Wow. That's a good point. Huh? Well, I still appreciate the shit out of it. So <laughs> for that, for, you know, for that being said, um, OK, cool. Well, here's a couple of quick bonus things. You know, this this is our our Halloween episode. This is going to end out Spooktober. Um, it's been a fantastic month. I know you've been super busy, so I really appreciate you coming on for these couple podcasts. Now, I know that uh, because we're friends, I know that your favorite costume was The Undertaker. Um, <laughs> My first you, big costume was yeah, The Undertaker. So, yeah, pretty, pretty awesome stuff there. But what's your favorite Halloween candy? Um, when I was always psyched when I got crunch bars, mm-hmm. when, when, I, when I was young, for some reason, that was the one that psyched me the most, you know, right now I'd go more into, I guess. Uh, and it's funny because candy, this is something we talk about on my discord a lot. Candy in the U S and Canada are not the same. Yeah. So yeah. it's, it's, we have like different brands than you guys have, or we have different versions of the same brand, like taste a Canadian Kit Kat and an American Kit Kat. And they are completely different mm-hmm. chocolate. It's, it's the weirdest thing. So for me, uh, my favorites are Arrow, which I don't think you guys have, Coffee Crisp, but also thank you, you guys don't have, and uh, Kit Kats, which I think are vastly superior in Canada mm. versus the American version. Well, I'm going to Japan in February, and they have like over two. Oh my god, yeah, they're like crazy with their Kit Kats. Eh? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I mean they have like wasabi flavored ones. So right. I'm gonna I'm gonna be trying all of them. I love Kit Kats. Those are that's 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 a hard one to beat. Um, I think for me. 
it's got to be Reese's peanut butter cup. Uh, nice. That's just my favorite candy probably overall. I love gummies, but I mean, in terms of Halloween candy, it's got to be a, a, like a Reese's Kit Kat or a pumpkin. Mm-hmm. Um, do you like candy corn? No, I think it's oh, disgusting. Man. Oh, what? Get yeah, I, I, I look <laughs> looking at it you know, because it symbolizes the season yeah. and Halloween. But the actual taste of it, fuck no. <laughs> oh, it's so good. I don't know. I'm an outlier. It's so good. Um, okay, what is your favorite Halloween movie? Oh, God. So th- this is tough. So I'm, I'm going to talk about two that are the ones I, I watch every year when I carve pumpkins. So that's what I'm going to do, you know, the this Sunday. And that's Halloween. Mm-hmm. I have to. You know, that's the classic. But a new one that I've been watching ever since it came out is Hubie Halloween. Oh yeah, which I forgot you like that one. <laughs> I fucking love that movie. I, I was just uh, I, we do trivia on my podcast, and mm-hmm. one of the questions that I asked was four clues, and I read four of the t-shirts that are featured <laughs> in that movie. I'm actually going to read them to you because okay, just to give got find one here because if this doesn't convince your audience and your listeners to watch this movie, <laughs> then I don't know what will. And uh, so there. Hubie, which is played by um, Adam Sandler, has mm-hmm. a grandmother, and in every scene, her and her friends are wearing just the funniest shirts. And these are four of them, and there's t- a ton of them. But these are my four favorites. It's not going to lick itself. <laughs> Boner donor. <laughs> I shave my balls for this. <laughs> and kayaking makes me wet. Oh God! <laughs> just this movie is so fucking out there that I just love it, and it's it's a new Halloween tradition for me. So. That's all good. Original I, Halloween and Hugh Hubie Halloween. I like it. It's, you know, I was surprised when I watched it because I was like, it's so stupid. But at it the is. same time, I enjoyed it because it's just Adam Sandler hanging out and having fun with his friends. And it's lighthearted enough, you know, and Steve Buscemi is like awesome <laughs> in it. And yeah, his, his voice, I can't. It's, it's hard to get behind because he, he kind of does like the water boy thing. But it's kind of yeah, a mix it's, of it's, it's all the Sandler tropes yeah. you know that we're used to at this point yeah so, even but, a returning character from uh happy gilmore i won't oh one, but <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah you're right yeah, yeah. um uh, not okay not a bad choice i get it um i don't know what my favorite halloween i'd probably say the thing like i just always say but halloween mm-hmm. it's, it's hard to beat a classic i i have to watch halloween during halloween time during at sure. least the month you got to put it on at least in the background mm-hmm. and then i know that you do some halloween haunted houses and stuff like that um so do you have any uh favorite halloween haunted houses yeah uh, i go to halloween horror nights in orlando every mm-hmm. year and i absolutely adore it i've been going for 12 years now and i just i i can't get enough of it I, they do five ip houses and five original houses and it's really cool to walk into like essentially a professional version of each set mm-hmm. and you know just to talk one of my favorite houses ever was the exorcist mm. and it was so good like it smelled like pea soup when you're going on oh gross it, <laughs> yeah it's uh you, you go into like the different you know the parts of the house and then you mm-hmm. go into the room and you go into the room three different times and reagan is like a little more like you know possessed each time that you go into that room like at first she's just in the bed and she's going up and down then you go again and she's got like to help me on her stomach and she's being exercised and you go again and she's levitating off the bed and the oh priests are trying to it's it was such a fucking cool room and they do this every year like every year they have something different you know this year there's actually the exorcist believer which was a great house not so much a great movie but a, <laughs> but a great house and yeah, i just appreciate that event uh, a lot 
Awesome, man. Yeah, I I definitely need to check something like that out. I like haunted houses and, and haunts in general. Um, sure, they scare the crap out of me, the jump scares in real life. But I mean, that's the whole point of going, right? It's just and look at oh, look man. at amazing sets like that. So that, that reminds me of one moment, my favorite moment ever at a haunted house. Uh, it was the original Halloween house. And I, you know, I, I've been going to these things a lot of years. So I know where the actors are going to come out of, you know, I know where their little cubbies are. I, I, I know that I know the, the game, you know, so they're not going to get me. <laughs> and I was in a bedroom in the Halloween house and I look around, I peek around the corners, you know, okay, Michael's not going to get me in this room. It's just a, <laughs> it's a visual house. And I, after doing the full check of the room, I turn around and I see there's a mirror on like, um, like on the girl's desk and Michael's right behind me. <laughs> and I don't know to this day how the fuck he got there. But it was like being in the movie, and I I just smiled from ear to ear because that's how I react to things that like surprise me. And I just oh my god, it was such a great moment. I felt like I was in Halloween. <laughs> oh man, like just an iconic slasher too, right? To be oh, yeah. like, how the fuck it, you know did he get there? That's <laughs> right. So cool. Yeah, I I watched this funny Instagram video where it was like. Michael comes out of a closet when this guy's eating cereal or something like that in his kitchen and it flashes back. It's like four hours earlier and he or longer than that. It's like earlier that day he, he sneaks into the house and he like right. hides <laughs> in the pantry and he sits there and he's waiting and he's like starts playing on his phone and like hours keep passing. <laughs> and then finally the guy shows up and he's like, oh, oh OK, I'm ready. <laughs> right. I always think about that kind of stuff. So. That's fascinating. I really do wonder how he got you, but yeah, it's just I guess there was a hole I did, I missed or something. I, I don't know. It was great though. It was a great moment and a, a great event. <laughs> Love it. Love to hear it, Steve. Thank you so much for being on the show. Um, and before we leave, let's. Uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you on social media and uh, what you're working on? Yeah, so my social media is uh, flipping the nerd. And if you want to follow my two podcasts, first one is the Let's XP Geeking Gaming Podcast, where we talk about like. More gaming and uh, non-horror movies, because I love to talk about those as well, despite being n- known more for horror. But uh, the Horror Squad podcast, sorry, the Horror Squad podcast is kind of the podcast that I've been doing for a longer time. We do events. Like I said, we just did the Hocus Pocus event in Salem. Actually, the weekend, well, I guess the day, the weekend before you guys listen to this, we also had Douglas Tate, who played Michael Myers um, in Halloween Kills for the stunt scenes. And he also played uh, Jason Voorhees in Freddy vs. Jason. He's the Jason that holds Freddy's head as he's walking out of the water at the end of the movie. So, yeah, we do all sorts of stuff. And we're already planning next year. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm just, yeah, I'm looking forward. I love October. We're so freaking busy in October. I'm kind of <laughs> looking forward to having time to watch movies again. And I have a ton of horror to finish from our 2023 list. Because mm-hmm. we love doing top tens of the year. And I have a 100 film quota <laughs> for, oh that I set gosh. on myself. For 2023 films, I'm at 88 right now, so I can do Ooh, it. <laughs> yeah. You got it. I believe in you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my friend. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm excited uh, to listen to future episodes for the Let's XP Gaming and the Horse Squad podcast. Uh, as always, you know, you're always welcome back on the show. Yeah, thank you. Okay, everyone, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter and threads at DBCrazyPod and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, tell us if we're crazy, or just send funny memes. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Stitcher, all that kind of stuff. And leave us a five-star review if you like it. Uh, thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy.